Rob, one of the films a couple of years ago that was had a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. As, as a matter of fact, there had been a lot of buzz and a lot of excitement surrounding this one particular property for almost a decade. Because for nearly a decade, James Cameron had discussed and talked about the fact that he was going to make an Alita Battle Angel movie. And then it waited and it waited and it waited. And finally, it came about and it came to be. He didn't direct it himself, granted, but it came out and came to be. It, it suffered from a really poorly received first trailer, which I don't think they ever really recovered from. And I think that had a lot to do with what we saw at the box office. But it, it, it didn't end up flopping or anything like that. Didn't have the, the box office return that maybe it sh deserved. It wasn't a great movie, but I thought it was pretty good and I enjoyed it. Well, there have been a lot of people, dude, that have been wanting to see this movie come back to theaters. And lo and behold... Their wish is about to be fulfilled as Cinemark has announced that they are going to be bringing back Alita to theaters. I think it's going to be for five bucks a ticket. I think it's going to be something like that. They're going to be bringing it back starting on October 30th. Now, just to confirm that this is all real and true, James Cameron himself took to social media and said, we're with you, Alita Army. Alita's coming back uh, to the big screen on October 30th. I think this is a great thing. Not necessarily, Rob, because I thought Alita was the greatest movie. It had its problems. It had its issues. But overall, I thought it was pretty fun. And I thought a lot of the visual sensibilities of it were really exciting and really well done. And I was looking forward to seeing another one. I don't know that they'll ever make another one. But this is great because this is the sort of thing that theater chains like Cinemark, Rob, and AMC are going to continue to need to do, to continue to do. They're going to have to make sure that they're going to be bringing in films like AMC and Cinemark said they're going to stay open even though Regal's closing. I don't know that that's going to last for long. But if you're going to do that, you got to keep making some announcements and you got to generate excitement. And while this isn't the greatest movie in the world, it is a movie that had a pretty passionate following for those who were fans of it. And I think this is a really good move in their part. And I'll tell you what, if there's any movie theaters, if there's any movie theaters open near me, I'll probably go out and see it again. Rob, what do you think about this move of them to re-release Alita Battle Angel? Well, you know, when I was a kid, uh, especially Disney would re-release movies. And Star Wars was re-released a number of times in theaters, well, sometimes every couple of years. And certainly to promote, like when Empire came out, there was they re-released it. In 81, they re-released it. So movie re-releases, I mean, obviously they were far more common in the age when we didn't have home entertainment. But I think this is a great idea. You know, I... I really liked Alita a lot. I saw it two, two times in the theater. And sure, a lot of the concepts were, I think, overly familiar to audiences. If the movie had come out 20 years before it did, I think people would have thought it was a little bit more fresh than it was. But I really liked it. And I, I did buy the special edition. There's a really cool special edition box set on 4K and Blu-ray, which I bought. And, John, I'm very proud to tell you that it hasn't come to the shores stateside yet, but you can order it from Hong Kong and Australian retailers. The Alita Hot Toy is out Ooh. in the wild. And uh, I've been, I, I didn't know, sometimes Hot Toys announces things that don't get made. But in fact, if you go to say Justin's collection, that's a channel on YouTube, he recently did an unboxing review of the Alita Hot Toy. And it, it made me kind of, uh, kind of excited as much as I could be excited by it. 
hot toy of Alita. But I'm excited, and it's it's nice to see. I hope I hope audiences, especially younger audiences, go see this because mm-hmm. I do think, despite the the robot violence, um, the well, I guess people are half human. I think it's the kind of movie that's inspirational to people, especially younger audiences that aren't as say familiar with the concepts that are in the movie. Now, look, I'm not going to pretend that there aren't some complications in doing this, but this is the exact sort of thing. Like if these theaters do want to keep their doors open, they're going to have to start doing this. They can't just have the same. Look, I love that Empire Strikes Back is still in a lot of these theaters, but you can't just rely on having the same movies there. Movie goers are used to having new content coming out all the time. And what I think they're going to need to start doing is exactly stuff like what they're doing with the lead of Battle Angel. They got to take movies from the last five years. And say, hey, you know, it's coming back next week. Civil War is coming back. See it again. You probably already own it, but you got to see it on the big screen. Come see Civil War. Uh, Come see, you know, this or that. And I think, I hope that this Alita can have some success. Because if it does, maybe it'll make them realize they can do this other stuff too. And we'll see what other kind of movies come out. You know, to that end, they should do all kinds of like cross-promotional things like, why not show the Captain America trilogy or why not go back and show like make a make a, a combination of movies like show Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters or, you know, classic comedies and make it an event because there's a lot of people, even people that are like in their 30s that haven't seen classic films in the theater because they always they already grew up with home videos. So they saw them a million times on cable. But seeing a movie like Ghostbusters on a huge screen or Close Encounters is a whole different experience. And this yeah. is a way, I think, John, that theaters can innovate in this time when they got to do something. Yep, they do. And uh, this might be, and you know, this Alita test may lead to something like that. Question is, guys, what do you think about them re-releasing Alita Battle Angel? I know a lot of you are probably going to be excited about this. Maybe you don't care. Philosophically, do you think it's the good kind of thing that theaters that are trying to stay open right now, as opposed to Regal, should be doing? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics today? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics by going anytime, 24-7, whenever you come across a really cool story, going over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your story. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Tyler Elder. And Tyler Elder writes, Welp, THR, that's the Hollywood Reporter, uh, just stated that Universal has jumped onto what I'm calling the depressed train of movie delays by pushing Jurassic World Dominion from June 11th, 2021 to June 10th, 2022. This bumps it an entire year and makes the gap between Jurassic films four years wide. I know this news isn't that surprising given the recent shifts by Warner Brothers, but what do you think about this delay? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yep, unfortunately, We have gotten another big, massive movie in Jurassic World that has made the big shift off of its release date, this time going from summer of 2021 all the way, a full year push 
to the summer of June 2022. This comes to us from the folks at Deadline who write, Universal is protecting one of its biggest assets from the pandemic and moving Jurassic World Dominion from June 11th, 2021 to June 10th, 2022. Universal had the latter date already on hold for an untitled event movie. I hear this has nothing to do with the production, which is about three weeks from wrapping up in the UK and remained on course despite some positive COVID-19 tests from the crew. Rather, it's just about safeguarding a big tentpole, which has a number of lucrative ancillary attachments. That, of course, comes to us from the folks over at Deadline. Okay, I think there's a couple things to look at here that are really interesting. Number one is that this is because of the pandemic, but it's not because of the pandemic in the way that you might think. Universal is not worried that theaters aren't going to be open in June of 2021. They're not worried about that. I mean, that still remains as a phantom hanging over our shoulders, of course, because sure. we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but that's not what they're assuming. They're not, they're, they're not right now assuming, oh, the theaters may not be open in June. That's not the problem here. What I think the real issue here that has got this thing moved is the fact that what Rob and I have been talking about for some time, the chaos caused to the movie industry, particularly movie scheduling, the chaos caused by the pandemic will not end when the movie theater doors open. That That's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of the chaos. Because yes, we had the chaos of all these movies we've been looking forward to the past seven months suddenly having to be moved. Okay, movie theaters, their doors open again. Great. Well, now we got to deal with the aftermath of having a film schedule now with seven extra months of movies all trying to find some refugee spots in the upcoming calendar year and beyond, causing overcrowding, and it's going to cause other films that were already safely scheduled out into 2021 are now going to have to maybe look around and saying, hey, this neighborhood's getting kind of crowded. This is not what's best for us or our movie, and we probably need to move. And now they're going to need to move. And so, you know, that's why for a while we were talking about on the show about how the chaos is just beginning. The chaos of movie scheduling is just beginning. And we, even once the theater doors are open and we proclaim that the pandemic crisis is now in our rearview mirror, whenever that's going to be. But even when that happens, we are still going to be dealing with the fallout and the ramifications of what has transpired over the past seven months with a lot of moving and shifting and all that kind of stuff. Rob, I did find it interesting. I want to get your take on this. The fact that they moved it a full year. Now, we saw Fast 9 in the early days of the pandemic decide to make a one-year jump. Mm. But lately when we've been seeing moves, it's been a couple of months. It's been maybe at the outset five or six months, normally somewhere around there. They decided to just go the full year shift. Rob, how much of a play does the pandemic have in this move considering it wasn't coming out till? mid 2021 and why a full year move do you think what are your what's your take well i think from a production standpoint you know they had a delay uh in filming this is a very effects heavy very complex film from from a post-production standpoint and i think what they've done is is they've done two things like you pointed out they don't have to worry whether the Jurassic Park franchise takes a little longer between films in order to be financially viable. They've proven with Jurassic World, P 
people love Jurassic Park movies. So that's one thing. But two, like you also pointed out, they move out of 2021 where there's going to be scrambling and chaos. They've firmly planted their flag on a date and they can work on this movie without pressure. Probably not a bunch of effects over time because you know how that can get when you're when there's crunch time getting effects done, especially on a movie like this that already had its release date truncated or the production time truncated because of the pandemic. So now that's alleviated. So there there is no rush. I mean, there's always a rush, but there's not there's not there's not the kind of rush where they're they're paying double and triple time to their effects teams. So I think from a production standpoint, they have enough time to finish the movie properly, get it all done. You know, all the things, subtitling, whatever it is they need to do, and they can even have it done maybe six months early, which alleviates the pressure from a production standpoint. And two, they don't have to deal with a bunch of other movies coming out when they are. They've said, yep, we've got our big giant dinosaur behemoth movie. We're planting it into 2022. And now you people act accordingly. And I think that was a really, really smart, shrewd uh a uh, very business savvy thing to do. Hmm. And you think it's going to pay off? This movie is going to pay off for them long term? I think it is because, look, you know, this is a movie that we haven't really seen. There's been some behind the scenes footage. I mean, we haven't seen much in the way of trailers or they haven't pre-marketed a lot because they were still in production. Yeah. So, you know, when they when they can ramp up a marketing campaign like they would for any other movie, you know, they can start it up. Christmas of 2021 and uh, and do it do it properly, you know, not like all these other movies where they started pre-marketing them and then, oh, they didn't come out and then they have to start up the marketing campaign again. Hey, remember when No Time to Die was going to come out back in April and we were telling you about it in 2019? Well, hey, now we're now we're going to remarket the movie for the third time back into middle April of 2021. They don't have to do that. And right, right now, you know, remember the general public, they don't follow movies, uh, the production movies, the way we in the movie pundit space do. So the general public's not sitting there going, you know, my mom's like going, hey, where is Jurassic Park Dominion, Bob? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't have to tell her that or Jurassic World Dominion. So I think this was a, sh a smart move all the way around. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? I mean, yeah, probably at this point. There's no more surprise. Big movie gets moved. No surprise. But now we're starting to look at moves being done as a result of what's going to be the aftermath, I think, of the pandemic. What's your guys' thoughts on this? Jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Rodrigo. And Rodrigo writes... Hello, John, crew, and Sir Robert. I was just browsing the movies on Google Play, and I saw Mulan for the same price it was originally available on Disney Plus for. I thought that with all the drama, they would have at least made the new Mulan a Disney Plus exclusive. What are your thoughts? And go Canada. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Buckle up, guys. I got some things to say about this. Okay, so uh. let's look a little bit at the drama that has been Mulan, okay? So Mulan, they, they're going to make this live-action Mulan. A lot of people very excited about it. As a matter of fact, when its trailer dropped, it is one of the highest-viewed trailers of all time. 
One of the highest viewed trailers of all time. That's how excited a lot of people were for it. There was going to have an international flavor to it. They're going to do all this. Pandemic hits. Okay. Disney, which is one of the studios that is very, very much in the vein that believes that, oh yeah, movie theaters is where we make our money. Like Disney is very, very firmly theaters, 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 theatrical experience, theatrical experience, theatrical experience. So it was really interesting when they decided to try taking Mulan and putting it straight to Disney+. Plus. Interesting move. The movie wasn't great, and that might have had something to do with it. It also encountered some controversy and things along the way. And as it turns out, despite the early, and we talked about this on the show, despite the fact that there was some early numbers being given out saying, oh my gosh, Mulan already made over almost $300 million. And then the head of the analytics company said, no, 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 no. Yahoo, who put that out, misinterpreted the data we gave them. It was actually much less. But it looked like it was going to be, it's a Disney exclusive, one of the perks of being a Disney member. As a matter of fact, because it was a Disney exclusive, we as Disney Plus members, even though it hurt a little bit, a bunch of you guys and me included, decided we'll pony up 30 bucks, not to even own the movie, but we will pony up 30 bucks so we can get access to it now. And then all the other Disney Plus subscribers will get it, you know, in a few months later in the year. They'll be able to get it on Disney Plus regular without paying any extra. Now fast forward to the disaster of that releasing it digitally. And all of a sudden now Disney are releasing the movie to all the digital services. Google Play, iTunes, uh, Vudu, Amazon, you name it. If it's a streaming service, now they've got it. You don't even have to be a Disney Plus member in order to get it. That little perk about being a loyal Disney Plus subscriber meant nothing. Because now anybody can get it. You don't have to be. Uh, the company, the uh, the outlet Fast Company, one of the better business things out there, right? Sorry, Disney Plus subscribers. Now anyone can buy Mulan for the same price that you had to pay to own it. No, the same price you paid to rent it. Look. Put this in context, all right? This is why this morning some, including me, Disney Plus subscribers, are a little pissed. Because if I chose to go ahead and get Mulan on, let's say, iTunes or Amazon or Google Play or Fandango or hell, even Vudu or any of the other, the Xbox system, whatever other service out there, I would pay 30 bucks, $29.99 to see Mulan and the result of me paying that $29.99 would be that I own Mulan. Then I own Mulan. Okay. Huh. So it's, it's, I, I just don't get any benefit from being a Disney plus subscriber other than I got to see it a couple of weeks before the other people did, but I'm paying the same price. No difference. Oh, but it gets worse before you think that's all of the smacking of the ass cheeks. There's more. That comes along because not only if I had decided to pick it up on Amazon or Google or Fandango, not only did I not pay a single cent more than anybody else did. Here's a diff for that $29.99 on iTunes or Amazon or Google Play. I own the damn thing. 
Disney Plus? I pay $29.99 plus I got to pay. That's what the plus is in Disney Plus, by the way, Rob. It's $29.99 plus $84 fucking dollars a year. And I don't even get to own it. Now I only have the damn thing until I stop paying $84 a year. It would have been better if I wanted to see Mulan. It would have been better if I had not been a damn Disney Plus subscriber in the first fucking place. This... Listen, in in this upcoming, look at this again. If I wasn't a Disney Plus subscriber and I wanted to watch Mulan, pay 29 bucks, I own the damn Mulan. But if I am a Disney Plus subscriber, your reward and my reward is that I pay $29.99 plus I got to pay $84 a year, plus I have to continue to pay $84 a year to continue to have the ability to watch it. In an environment where we have increasing competition in the the new streaming wars. We are entering, we are in the now age, we are at the beginning stages of the streaming wars. If you want me as a customer, then show me the benefits of being a customer. Be transparent with me as a customer. If you're going to dangle in front of me as a loyal subscriber, I've been subscribed to this thing for almost a year just so I could have watched uh, Mandalorian season one. And they've had my subscription fees for an entire year. You know, my reward is if you're going to dangle Mulan in front of me and say, hey, 30 bucks. Great. How about a little bit of transparency and say, now, look, you can give us 30 bucks to watch it now. And you'll have you'll only have access to it as long as you continue to pay us your monthly subscription but just so you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to release this as well to, to iTunes and Amazon and Google play, where if you pay 30 bucks, you'll just own it. How about a little bit of transparency? I feel like now, look, ultimately, John, what are you making a big deal out of Mulan for? It's not, I'm not making a big deal out of Mulan. I'm making a big deal out of a giant company like Disney. And you guys know, I have a very fond place in my heart for Disney. I love Disney. I do. What I'm upset about is that this huge company, Disney, that a lot of us have been very loyal customers to pull shit like this that says, oh, yeah, there was no benefit to being that. As a matter of fact, we're going to give better deals to people who aren't even our customers with this movie. I think it's Bush League. I think it's incredibly dishonest. I believe it shows a fundamental lack of respect that Disney has for their own customers. And I am speaking as one who is a very loyal Disney consumer. I like my Disney content. I like Disney. But that just makes it even worse to me. It makes it even worse. Even Fast Company came out and, and they recognized to say, look, if you paid 30 bucks last month for the pleasure of being able to stream the live action Mulan via your Disney plus account, you might be feeling a bit angry today. That's because now Disney has re has released the live action Mulan on the Apple iTunes and Google play movie stores for the same price of $29.99. No Disney plus subscription required to buy and keep the film. And if you're wondering the iTunes and Google Play versions of Mulan are packed. Get this, Rob. Oh, I know. The iTunes and Google Play versions of Mulan are packed with extras, including documentaries on the film, deleted scenes, and more. Oh, and it's in 4K. So 
to go over once again, it's not just that you're spending the exact same amount of money and not even getting to own it. It's not just that you could have had it without having to pay a Disney Plus subscription. But oh, guess what, kiddies? Those people who aren't Disney Plus subscribers, they not only got it for a better deal because they paid the same price and get to keep it, but they get a whole bunch of more other stuff in it that you don't. 4K, documentary material on it, deleted scenes. No, 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 Disney Plus. You don't get any of that, Disney Plus subscribers. Maybe they'll give it to us later. I don't know. But to me, Rob, again, it just gets gets me upset. When I see, I don't care if we're talking about Mulan. I don't care if we're talking about an Avengers movie. I don't care if we're talking about Artemis Fowl. It upsets me when one of these companies pretty much pulls a fast one on their consumers and pulls a fast one on their customers and pulls a fast one on those who have been most loyal to them. That to me is unacceptable. And yes, as a consumer, that gets me hot. It does. And I make no apologies for that. Anyway, Rob, uh, you you've seen what's going on here with the whole Mulan situation. Given, I mean, I I can only assume part of this has to do with the fact that this has been a monumental financial failure for them. So maybe they're just now scrounging around trying to figure out some way to get back into the black on it. I don't know, but Rob. You look at this whole scenario. What are your feelings on this? Well, one, first of all, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is a monumental financial fiasco. Uh, like we've talked about, and I've been talking about on my own show, if a movie costs $200 million to make, they've got to make $800 million to really break even before they're in any kind of profit. And that's impossible to do on pay-per-view right now or SVOD, whatever you want to call it. It's impossible. You can't do it with a movie that costs that much money. I mean, Disney was looking for anything. I mean, they're between their theme parks being closed, cruise lines being closed, the whole company was hemorrhaging cash. And they're doing anything to find a lifeline. And they tried it. They tried that. And I'm sure that, again, we've talked about people are not used to the idea of paying $30 for a movie on a streaming service. They're just not used to that yet. They don't understand it. They don't. They, the general population is like, wait, what? Well, I don't understand. And it's a lot of money. And I'll tell you something. For Disney to do this, uh, the for me, you know, being someone who made extras for 20 years for physical media releases, Disney has always, since Disney Plus started, they've either had more special features like with Avengers Endgame than they released on their physical media. They keep compromising various aspects of what they're doing in some way, shape or form. And Disney is the last company that should be doing that. Because they understand, I mean, they've got such a long history of being able to milk as much money as they can from their consumer base and do it well. This is annoying and it pisses me off too because I, I certainly wouldn't, I, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't pay for Mulan. But there are movies I would pay $30 for and as somebody who loves special features and documentaries, that alone – the idea of the ownership and then to not get that, maybe they'll put all that stuff. I would suspect they'll put that up on Disney Plus, all the special features, but they haven't yet. And to get something in 4K, uh, to get things in, in a less than optimal presentation and you're you're paying a premium price for it, come on, man. That's business 101. You don't do that to your customers. And I think this is a – this is look, I get it, man. Disney came out. This is the first time anybody was trying to do that. I mean, maybe after after Trolls World Tour, but this was a big, high-profile, big movie for them, and I, they're grabbing at straws. I get it. I don't blame them. I just think it was a stupid move 
Because they're all sitting there going, damn it, we should have pushed Mulan into 2021. That's what they're thinking. And that's what they're mm. ever going to forever going to think. And maybe they should have. But I think that what you're doing now is you're not engendering your your consumer base with confidence that you're going to work in their best interests because you're not. It also erodes, Rob, it erodes consumer trust. Ah, absolutely. Because 100%. Because like, I'm with you. Like, I get it. This is a, it's not, as you always say, it's not show friends, it's show business. I understand they're trying to figure out a way to do this. But at some point in that boardroom, somebody should have spoke up and said, okay, if we're in a desperate financial situation when it comes to Mulan, and we're, we've made the decision that we're going to release this to things outside of Disney Plus, like the Google Play Store or Amazon or whatever. We have to do it in such a way that it still communicates to our customers that you guys get the better treatment because you're our customers. Yes. And Mr. CEO Chapek, you know, Mr. Chapek, I mean, aren't we sending the wrong message to our customers if we charge people who aren't our customers the exact same price? And actually, they get to own the movie and actually they get more material as a result. Aren't we sending the wrong message to our customers? Dude, and- 100%. You, I mean, Disney is telling people that we are not going to take care of our customer base. Other people outside our company are going to treat our own customers better than we are. That isn't – that's terrible for business. Terrible. Yeah, and and again, I think it, it comes down to a point of trust. And now next time – Disney tries to do something like this. I'm going to be okay. Hey, they're never going to put Black Widow straight. They'll wait till 2025 if they have to. They're never going to put Black Widow out, but especially after the Mulan fiasco. But for argument's sake, if Disney Plus were to come to, to us as consumers next week and say, hey, guys, good news. We've decided to release Black Widow on Disney Plus for $25. I just don't trust them anymore. Now it's going to be, you know what? Cool. I'm going to wait till you let Amazon have it for $18 and I get all the special features. I, I don't know that that'll happen, but now that I don't know, it won't happen because they've just done it with Mulan. And it's going to, I'm telling you, this is really, and I'm only speaking as one individual consumer, but as an individual consumer, this has really eroded my trust in this in this particular company and in this in this business it is really and i've already been a little shaky on it's like guys i've been a member for a year and what have you given me you gave me hamilton that was that was good and you gave me one season of mandalorian great for a year and and even this i don't know i don't know john i i've got a question for you sure do you think premium uh pay-per-view for new movies will ever work because i don't think it will I don't think – I mean they've tried it and there's no reason. There's no reason to do it. Just wait three months. Now what they've done is I think the idea of getting in on the ground floor, seeing something first, who cares? There's so much good content online. I'll wait. I think yeah. this was a bad move. I think that that I don't think ever – I don't think consumers are ever going to pay 30 bucks. I mean, I would because I was jonesing for something, but the general public not going to do it. I think what Mulan has proven, and I think it's going to be proven time and time again when other studios try it, that just to release a movie so you can see it first, because if everything's coming out online, then if nothing goes to the theater first, going to the theater is a thing that you actually have to do. It's Mm -hmm. something that differentiates everything from 
from some something else. You go see Avengers Endgame in a theater with an audience. That experience is what differentiates it. But if you're online, people are going to be like, wait a minute. I can click on and binge a whole season of The Boys. Why should I pay 30 bucks and watch Mulan? I'll get to it eventually. Yeah, I think I, it's. I think the idea of premium pay per view is dead already. It's it's hard to say. Like when you ask, will it ever work? It's yeah, hard will, to say do you think that so? it, it would. It's 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 impossible for me to say right now that it would never work. But it's certainly not working right now, and it's certainly not going to work in the immediate future. I personally think there is a middle ground here, and I, I was starting to think about this the other day because you know in this. In this whole tug of war going on between the theatrical window, and for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, the theatrical window is once a movie debuts in theaters, there's an agreement between the theaters and the studios that the studios can now not put out that movie on home video for at least three months from when it launches in theaters. That's called the theatrical window. And some studios, not Disney, but some studios like Universal have wanted to shrink that window entirely. I think there might be a little bit of a middle ground where it's like, okay, what if you keep the regular theatrical window for regular streaming and regular purchasing, but instead of at 90 days, you say at 45 days, you can put out a premium digital release at a premium price, say 4X of whatever the national average of a movie ticket is. So say like 45 days after it debuts in theaters, you can put it out on premium streaming for say 45 bucks. There, therefore, you'll get the hardcore people who are like, I gotta see it right now at home. You'll get them, but you're still maintaining the, so I don't know, there might be a balance there. I, but Rob, I think you're right. There's gonna be a lot of lessons to be learned from this whole Mulan experiment. And most of them aren't very good lessons. <laughs> But there are there are going to be lessons to be learned here. It's going to be interesting to see how this churns out. Anyway, guys, question for you is, what do you think about this move by Disney Plus to not only let other services and people who are not Disney Plus subscribers to get the movie for the same price, but also keep it permanently and have extra features as well? Uh, maybe to a lot of you guys, it's no big deal. And, and I get that. Maybe to some of you, it's even a bigger deal than it is to me. What do you think about it? Jump into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Grant Ames. I'm going to pronounce it Ames. Writes, hey, John and Rob, with a lot of us being forced to consume pretty much all of our content right now from home, indeed, that is that is the, uh, the thing, now my Amazon Fire Stick has been my best friend. But I just saw the new Google Chromecast that has Google mm. TV in it, and it blew my mind. 4K, HBO Max, and every other service imaginable, remote with Google Assistant built right into it for all for $50. Is this enough to make you switch from Roku for your home streaming needs? All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And yeah, listen. Right now, for a lot of us, the va I've only been to the movie theater twice in the past seven months, Rob. So, I mean, for a lot of us, we're consuming most of our entertainment right now through home streaming. I was the earliest of early Roku adopters. I had I had a Roku Rob and cut the cable before I met Anne. Not long before I met Anne, but before I met Anne. Um, 
And so I've been pretty much a Roku guy. I've tried the Apple TV and I've tried the Amazon Fire thing. But really, I've, for, the, for the most part, for like 10 years, I've been a hardcore Roku guy. And so we're all consuming these movies and things at home. So I'm always looking for a way to get to improve that home viewing experience. And I'm a Roku guy. Well, the other day, as Google was announcing their new Google uh, Pixel 5 and some, some of their home stuff as well, uh, I like the Pixel phone, by the way. I, I have a note. 20, but I, I like the Pixel phones. They threw in there this little thing they've got called the Google Chromecast, which we all know what Chromecast is, right? Chromecast is the thing you plug into your TV and allows you to stream just about anything from your phone to it, but it doesn't have its own interface per se. It doesn't have its own remote. It's just there so you can stream from your mobile devices, your laptops to your thing. Well, now they've actually built their Roku competitor Google TV into the Chromecast where you get this little dongle that just plugs into your TV. It's 4K, which my Roku is in 4K, Rob. There are there are Rokus with 4K, but mine is in 4K. You get 4K. You get HBO Max on it. You get just about every other service. The only service they don't have on there right now, but they will, I understand they will at some point, is Apple TV+. Plus. They don't have the Apple TV+. Plus app on there right now, but apparently that is coming. But they got everything you can possibly imagine that Google would have. And this was the killer to me. It's got this built-in button on the remote for Google Voice Assistant. You can use the Google Assistant. That's one of my favorite things about using an Android phone. I've got an iPad. Google Voice Assistant kicks Siri's ass. Anyway, it's got Google Voice Assistant right in there. You can literally hit the button on your own and say, show me my front door camera. And if you got like a networked front door camera, boom, it'll just bring up your front door camera. Play this song on my bathroom speaker because I got a Google thing in my bathroom. Boom, it'll do that. Find me Harrison Ford movies. Vroom, Harrison Ford movies. Play newest episode of The Boys. Boom, it'll just play the newest episode of The Boys. 4K, 50 bucks. Rob, I got to tell you, you have heard me preach and sing about my Roku. I love my Roku. I am a very, very loyal, loyal Roku user. I ordered one of these things right away. I'm not going to get it for about two weeks, so I can't tell you if it's crappy or if it actually lives up to the hype, but I got this thing. And like for a lot of us, again, who are consuming our movies and our TV and whatever, we're all looking for good stuff. Look, Rob, we're lucky right now that there's the Amazon Fire Stick is great right now. It, it's really a great experience. The Roku's are great, um, but this this Chromecast with Google TV baked right into it, it looks like it's going to take that home experience even higher. And you know me, I love my tech stuff. But so uh, I, I ordered one right away. I'm looking forward to it. Rob, you took a look at this. As, I mean, especially the price point, fifty bucks for all that. What did you think of it? Do you think I'm just maybe getting too excited about it? I don't know. What do you think about this? No, uh, new, I, new I went and read that. I read that CNET article, man, about this. And I'm thinking, you know, again, it, it's it's this forward thinking. We're providing consumers with the, they're anticipating future needs that the consumers have. And unless you're doing that, uh, you're going to lose these kinds of wars. You need to start giving all the functionality that exists, whether it's Dolby Vision whether it's it's whatever your your Dolby Atmos, whatever kinds of quality presentation you can provide, and all the streaming services that everybody wants, if you've get if you're giving them all those things in one place for a price point like fifty dollars, that's going to be successful. And I think that 
you know, and if it has ease of operation, if it's easy for consumers to use, well, then I think it's definitely something that's going to be successful. It certainly made me, I mean, dude, I, I like my Amazon Fire Stick, but I was reading about this going, um, why wouldn't I want to buy this right now? You know, I, give me a reason to not buy it. Right now, there isn't one. It seems like the most exciting thing that's on the market right away, and it 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 gives me everything that I'm interested in getting. And this is the way this is the way competition works, you know. One of the cool things about it too is that being a Google service, I mean, it's pretty much any app that plays something in the App Store, you'll probably be able to put it on there. Here's the one thing that I would like to see different, though. Here's 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 my one. Now, I love that they finally got a remote and all that kind of stuff. And I love the fact that they've got like a dedicated button to YouTube. Just hit the YouTube button. You don't even have to scroll through your menu. And I'll be honest with you, probably 55% of the time I'm watching my television, I'm watching YouTube stuff. So that and then they got the Netflix button in there. Uh, I love the fact that they they have the live TV. It's fully integrated with YouTube TV. That happens to be my live streaming television thing of choice is YouTube TV. So I can just say, you know, uh, pull up Fox and it'll pull up the Fox network and just play it right away. Pull up ESPN too. And it'll just open up what's playing live on ESPN too. I like that. The one thing I would have liked to have seen a little bit different is that on my Roku remote, instead of just two buttons, one for YouTube, one for Netflix, my YouTube remote has four buttons, which is one for, um, Netflix, one for Hulu, which that's that's other than YouTube. That's probably the one I use the most is Hulu. I love Hulu. Uh, and then a couple others that I don't use. I would have liked to have seen maybe four more buttons and make them programmable. So like somebody like me that I watch a lot of Hulu. So give me, fine, a dedicated YouTube button, dedicated Netflix. I'm definitely going to use that a lot. Now give me another button that I can choose which service launches with that button. And give me three other buttons like that. To me, that I, that seems like a fairly simple thing to do. I would like to see them implement that a little bit later. Uh, but that's the only real thing I got. Rob, if you're looking at this thing, if there's anything that you wish, oh, you know what I wish they'd had right now is that they had this feature in it right now. Is there any that stands out to you? Because that's the only one that stands out to me right now. Yeah, not really. I mean, you know, they they – uh, the simplicity of these things mm. sometimes is is not I, I wish they were a little bit more, you know, you have to sometimes you have to do combinations of buttons to get into programmable areas and things like that because they they want to make everything universal and easy to use. But when I want to get into the more complex programmability of something, it becomes a little bit more difficult. But other than that, I, I you know, I think they have to make it simple for most people. And yeah. um uh, you know, I didn't – I can't complain with point. about that. Yeah, I mean I just want – what I want – ultimately for me, it's always about the best quality presentation that I can get. That That is the one deciding factor. That's why I still love physical media. You know, I'll watch something on streaming. I was watching something I, I don't remember. Maybe it was The Boys. I don't know what it was. It was buffering and all that, and it, sometimes it, it goes out of you, – you're not getting the full resolution. It snaps back, and you're getting sort of a garbled picture. That doesn't happen on physical media, and that's why I still buy physical media because of things like the sound, 
the soundtracks because I can get Dolby Vision because I can get Atmos because I can get all these things and I don't have to worry about it. But as things get better and better, maybe I'll one day give up physical media. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to be buried with all my physical media. But um, this kind of thing, they're they're looking toward quality and the quality of the presentation. And that's all I care about. Does it look and sound great? And can I get can I get to what I want to watch in a simple, easy fashion? That's it. Now, of course, it's all great in theory. We're going to have to, I will find out in about yeah. two weeks once mine arrives if it's actually a piece of garbage or not, which who knows it could be. I've bought lots of tech that looks great in theory. And then when I get my hands on it, it turns out crappy. I'll let you guys know how it is. Question is, guys, what do you think? Does the sounds of this thing maybe tempt you away? Maybe you're a Fire Stick user. Maybe you're a Roku user. Maybe you use the Apple TV. Is this sound good enough to maybe possibly lure you away? The price point's pretty good. What are your guys' thoughts on this? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. Hey, little vanity thing here before we move into our live questions. I I, I wanted to share this with you guys just because I'm excited about it. But, you know, uh, obviously we've been talking uh, on my show lately that uh, this past year I've been pretty busy making this little documentary, uh, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, that we're, we're, we're pretty much finished it at this way we're still making tiny little tweaks here and there but it's for all intents and purposes it's done i actually had a bunch of our patreon supporters thank you to all of our patreon supporters by the way but we actually did a little private screening for 25 patreon supporters Uh, and we did a screening of it the other night and uh, that was a lot of fun well we had submitted it to a couple of festivals and we already announced the other day that we got into the studio city international film festival which i was very very excited about one of the top 100 uh ranked festivals out of the like three thousand festivals uh that are on film freeway right now one of the other festivals that, that uh, i submitted to and i only submitted to just a couple uh that i'm very excited about that we did get notified not only have we been selected to be in it but we were just notified the other day that our documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, is a finalist for their jury prize of best documentary feature. And that is uh, NBC Universal presents the Portland Film Festival, the 2020 Portland Film Festival, of course, presented by Comcast NBC Universal, which I joked about on social media. I said, hey, does that mean with NBC Universal it being their festival, does that mean if I win, I can rename <laughs> Peacock? <laughs> do, I, do I get to rename Peacock? That would be great. But anyway, um, Again, we are thrilled that we have been, we are an official selection now for the film festival. And again, we have been notified that we are now a finalist for the jury prize of best documentary. So, um, Rob, you appear in this movie. Uh, you've also, you also helped me out on this movie. Uh, you are an associate producer on it. Uh, I, I gotta tell you, man, I'm, I'm so freaking excited about this. I'm really happy and proud about this. Anyway, uh, your reaction to it. Well, John, you first of all, one, I'm, I mean, I, I I don't want to belabor the point, but I'm very proud of you because, you know, you thought this up. You had shared this idea with me that you were thinking about it and that you wanted to do it. And I could see it percolated in your mind for months. And then at one point you told me, you said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And you really, uh, like anybody who gets obsessed with a project, you diligently went about making it and you you decided once you decided to do it you were gung-ho and you executed and you you did exactly what you said you were going to do um you did it in a very uh, grand fashion it's beautifully made technically it's it shows a lot of prowess it's beautifully shot jonathan uh, and you did a great job putting it all together 
And it was pretty inspiring because you did it very quickly for the most part. I mean, you got it shot just under the gun right before quarantine happened, right before lockdown happened. And then you and Jonathan diligently worked on it all the way through. You finished it and you submitted it to film festivals. And I I was really impressed. And I think that that in a way – and you were always downplaying it like, ah, you know, maybe it'll work. I don't know if people will like it or whatever. And didn't I always say, no, you got to <laughs> you got to sell this. You, this is something – you're a filmmaker. You're a content provider now. You're, you're making something on a professional level. And yes, you're going to sell it. It's worth something to people. It's a fun movie to watch. And I think that's been bared out by the fact that not only are you getting into film festivals, but you're in contention for awards. I mean, that's the way it should be done. And you know what? It proves that anybody who – not anybody, but if you – whether it's a film project or any project, you know, a lot of people talk about doing things that they want to do. But you, you just went out and did it. You didn't stop. You didn't get bored. You didn't talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and not do it. You thought about it a lot. And then when you decided to do it and pulled the trigger, bruh, you made it happen. <laughs> you made it happen. And you finished it. You know, and you did it relatively quickly. When you when you decided to shoot it, man, I was impressed. You're like, we're going to do this. We're going to shoot it in like two months or something and get it all done. I'm like, really? Awesome. And you did just that. <laughs> That's impressive. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on your show. Well, and you know, and let that be uh, let that be an inspiration to people who are con contemplating creating something to submit to your film festival. Uh, like right, right now, right. You, I mean, uh, as a segue, right, like seriously, if this jackass can pull together and get a, 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 like a documentary feature done, believe me, if I can do it, you can do it. You just got to do it. And Rob has just put together this film festival, this online yeah. film festival. That is a terrific opportunity, especially if you've never done anything like this before. This is a fantastic opportunity. Rob, I, I don't want us to go on on our on our personal projects here for too long. But <laughs> but just just remind everybody a little bit about, about this festival you've put together and giving everybody else an opportunity to flex their creative muscles a little bit and get involved creatively. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, I'm doing – I called it the first intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival because I call my viewers Imagination Connoisseurs. It's running through December 1st. You can submit anything you want, uh, any kind of a film, documentary, music video, narrative feature, whatever. Um, and I'm putting up each film as I get them as premieres on my channel. And then on Christmas Day, we're doing a show and we're announcing the semifinalists. And on New Year's Day, we're going to announce the awards. There are cash prizes which we're going to start talking about. There are celebrity judges, you being one of them. I guess I can announce officially that you, John Campia, are a judge in this yes. festival. You join <laughs> Ashley Edward Miller, the writer of Thor and X-Men First Class and Agent Cody Banks, who's now producing an unnamed Netflix animated series and who's also in your movie. He's another judge. I have a bunch of other judges, filmmaking judges coming on board. All these judges that I'm announcing, because you're one of them now, are filmmakers. Uh, now you're in festivals, so you're you're as much of a filmmaker as anybody else in the world, John. So, and anybody can enter if you go to my website, theburnetwork.net. All the information is there. And currently, you can vote on the poster for the film festival. We've had 60 submissions, and you can go. It's free to vote. You just go to the website and click on the film festival, and the poster competition's there. So we had we had imagination connoisseurs send in posters. So it was kind of inspired in a way by what you did. 
because I had uh, some friends that are watchers of my show. They made a movie in Germany, directors, uh, director Patrick Keller and his writer Dieter Bastian, and they sent me a film that they made one weekend. And I'm like, you know what? This is pretty cool. John's making his movie. Patrick Keller and Dieter Bastian made their movie. Why don't we have a film festival? Let's see what people are going to do. Uh, we have our fourth premiere, uh, Wiener Kills, tomorrow at noon. So come check that out. Check out the latest film, Crawl Space, that we got from Ireland. That's pretty impressive. So as the evil dead would say, join us. Make a movie. December 1st is your deadline. Uh, so everybody go and check that out. But hey, listen, Rob, I know now normally we let you go at around uh, 1130, but you have right. some other uh, obligations yes. today that you got to run and take care of. So we're going to let you go a little bit earlier today. Thanks again for being here today. And Rob, in the meantime, where can people follow you and all your goodness online? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Follow me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. And of course, my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, where you can find out about the film festival. But once again, John, I have to say a very hearty congratulations to you. You know, uh, to go out and make a film is, is tough enough, but to start getting recognition at multiple film festivals, that's very cool. And um, kudos to you. I'm happy to be a part of it. Very honored and so proud of you, man. Oh, thanks, dude. I appreciate it a lot. All right, everybody. The one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Rob, we will talk to you again a little bit later, my friend. Take care, dude. Yes, sir. All right. That was Robert Meyer Burnett, everybody. And now let's get on and start taking your live questions. Again, you can fire in a live question to get on the show and support the channel at the same time. Simply click on the tip link that's at the top of the description of the video there, or you can enter it in manually. StreamElements.com slash TV slash tip. All right, let's get on over to it right now. We're going to start things off here with a couple we had left over from yesterday. We're going to start off getting caught up with Aaron McDonough, who writes, Hey, John. Has there been any more updates on the Russo brothers next film, Cherry? The last time I checked, it was meant to come out this year, but I doubt that will be likely to happen now, given the circumstances we are in. The last thing I saw. So for those of you who don't know, the Russo brothers, they're, they've, they've made this movie with uh, Tom Holland called Cherry. He's a, he's a war vet. I think he was a medic in the war. He comes back. Uh, he has PTSD. And he gets addicted to drugs and he becomes a bank robber. And it's it's not an action flick. It's more of a heavier drama, some romance in it and stuff like that as well. Anyway, yeah, I believe it was originally supposed to come out in 2020. It is now slated the last time I saw, if I remember correctly, it's slated to come out in 2021. And it's going to be a digital release. Like it's not, I don't believe it's getting a theatrical release. So I believe it, it's already scheduled to go straight to And I can't remember if it's a Netflix. It would make sense if it's a Netflix. It might be another provider I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, it will be coming out in 2021. So there's that. All right. Thanks for writing in, Aaron. Next up, Joe P. writes, out of curiosity, with the lack of new movies, how will this affect award season? Oh, massively. I don't think there's going to be an award season. Uh, will those indie movies that did release have more of a chance of winning awards due to the lack of blockbusters, stay safe and filthy? Thank you so much, Joe P. Well, first of all, Joe, your question makes a false assumption. Your question erroneously assumes that big blockbusters are the ones that win all the awards. Quite often... The blockbusters don't get the awards. Yes, once in a while, you get a Joaquin Phoenix in a billion-dollar film like The Joker winning an Academy Award. But uh, quite often, some of the criticism, some of the reasons, one of the reasons some people don't like the Oscars because they don't award the big blockbusters enough. So really, it really wouldn't change much. Wouldn't change much. 
But the ultimate thing here is I'm now just waiting for the Oscars to officially announce that the 2021 ceremony, because remember, the the movies of 2020 get awarded in 2021 because the Oscars happen usually around February or March normally, and that's for the previous year. So I'm just waiting for now for the Oscars to announce that they're canceling the 2021 Oscars. They had bumped it and allowed a few more months of eligibility, but I think they're kind of, their hands are tied now. I think they're just going to have to cut bait, say there's not going to be an Oscars this year, and I'm just waiting for that to happen. I don't know for a fact that that's going to happen, but that's my guess. That's my guess at any rate. Okay, next up. Kyle Schroeder writes, if we can accept a Batman acting as judge, jury, and executioner, uh, which IRL would be unacceptable, uh, is it really that far of a step to have Batman taking a child into battle? Oh my God, yes. If you don't understand the difference between those, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, to me, that he is morally questionable in that context. By the way, I love Batman. Oh, I love Batman too. But no, listen, Batman has a very, very... Uh, you know, we were talking the other day about a, a a Rand hero, right? He is Batman is very, very much has an incredibly strict code. He has a very defined moral compass that may be a little bit different from yours and mine, but it is still nonetheless very, very firm moral, moral compass. Would that Batman that we know, would that Batman take a 12-year-old child or an 11-year-old child into a gunfight with mobsters. No, that Batman wouldn't. It's not about whether I would or wouldn't. It's not about whether you would or wouldn't. It's not about whether somebody else who, who thinks they're a vigilante would or wouldn't. It's about would this Batman character take a 12-year-old child into a gunfight? Come on, Junior. Put down your Fruit Loops and let's go. Like, you know, whatever. Why did Batman just sound like Clint Eastwood? I don't know. Anyway. The point is, there's a universe of difference. I, I don't I don't think there's any similarity between the fact that he's a vigilante versus I'm going to take this 11-year-old kid where he's probably going to get shot by mobsters and give him a stick. Go go take all those mobsters. There's 20 of them. They got Uzis. Yeah, but here's a stick. You're good, kid. Go. I mean, that's different. Again, and some things work. You can make that work on the printed page of a comic book and work great. You can make that work sometimes in an animated form and make it work great. But but with Rob's sense of verisimilitude, that doesn't work in a live action scenario. Not at all. So I don't I don't personally, Kyle, I don't those think those two things can be equated in the least. But that's just me. All right, Russell Amador writes. Hey John. With all the movement from DC and the pack schedule in the upcoming years, in a perfect world, pandemic aside, uh, that Joaquin si that Joaquin signs on to reprise his role. When do you think they would be able to squeeze in a Joker too? Oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, seriously, it's not just the release schedule. As I open a a, a can of delicious Zevia Cola, Zevia or Zevia, however the hell you pronounce it, sponsor me, you sons of bitches. Um, that's a great question because, you know, ever since Joker, look, Joker was completely intended to be and only be a one shot movie, no sequels, no follow ups. It was a one time thing. It was always intended to be that way. Well, then what what happened? They made a billion dollars and they won Academy Awards and they were nominated for Best Picture. All things that shareholders say, make another one. So now all the talk has been about when are they going to make another one? I still think they will. But when can they make it? 
Mm, that's a big question because like we've been talking, the pandemic has caused this, this bottleneck almost, you know, they, they've crammed so much in. It's not just the release schedules. It's about who's available to start shooting. Remember they went like six months without shooting anything. And while some stuff is in production now, it's only probably about 30% of Hollywood's normal production, how much production is going on at any one moment, probably only about 30% of what's normal. So you are continuing to get backlog stuff. So it might be a while before they're even able, even if they want to do a Joker sequel, which I think they do, it's going to be a while before they're going to be able to, like from a logistics point of view, pull that all together. Um, all right. And I still hope they don't make a Joker too. Personally, I, I think that it's. I think narratively, it's important to leave it as a single standalone. But again, I get it. Academy Awards and it made a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I'm an executive, even though as a fan, I don't want them to make another one. As an executive, I would probably greenlight it because it's just too much money. All right, uh, Artificial PP writes, "Hey John and gang, I just saw Francis's Patrol episode from." Deep, oh, guys, please don't, when you write in, please do not use acronyms. Please just write out what it is you're trying to write out um, and make sure you put spaces in between words. It's just, it's difficult for somebody as dumb as me to read as it is. So just, just do me a solid, do me a solid, and write things out properly. Okay. Hey, John and gang, I just, and please spell check. <laughs> I just saw. Francis Patrol episode from Doom Patrol and WTF. I got so emotional at the end, especially when, oh, it's two words. They played D Frank Ocean song when, when Larry leaves John. Okay. I, I sorry. I, I, I'm just going to have to skip over it. I appreciate sending in, but uh, you know what? Email me at John at the John with what it is you're trying to say and just send that to me in an email. And then, then maybe I'll, I'll get around to answering that a little bit later. Anyway, the walking dead fan writes, Hey John, big fan of the show. Thank you so much. Not sure if you still watch it nowadays. Um, if you still watch it nowadays, but my question to you is what are your thoughts on the walking dead overall as a show and the fact that it's ending in 2022? Um, I am, I, I watched, I was never a huge fan of walking dead. I'll just be honest with you. Never a huge fan, but I did watch it and I enjoyed it marginally. I enjoyed it. Um, I wasn't one of these big, major, major, major walking dead fans, but I, I enjoyed the show and I watched it up until I think the last time I saw the show wasn't that long ago, but it was the end of the season where they ended up having Negan. They, they, they captured Negan and Negan's in a cage, right? And I think, I don't know if that was one season ago or two seasons ago. I can't remember, but I remember I said after that, I'm, I'm good on walking dead. I'm, I'm good. I, 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 I tap, I'm done. I'm done. Not that I hated that season. I didn't, but it's like, yeah, it's enough's enough. And I kind of uh, gave up on it at that point. Now, then I heard that Hearst, who is like one of my all-time favorite television characters, Ope on Sons of Anarchy. Then I heard later that he's like the villain who's been around lately. That's all cool and everything, but still. So the fact that it's coming to a close in 2022, but it's not really coming to a close in 2022, are they? Because they've already announced that like two of the most popular characters are going to be continuing on. They're calling it a spinoff, but let's call it what it is. If you're taking the two most popular characters, it's really, you're just continuing the walking dead. Really? It's just going to be a different name. So, um, Hey, look, look at the end of the day, 
Walking Dead will be looked at as one of the most successful television shows of all time. It, it became an absolute phenomenon. It, uh, it, it created like just ravenous fan base. And I'm not the biggest fan in the world of it, granted, but you cannot take away. It has been incredibly successful with incredible, even when their numbers went down, their numbers were still fantastic um, and lasted for so long. It's, it's a great legacy. It's leaving behind. It's a great legacy. All right. Uh, uh, Guillaume LaBelle writes, um, it is elbowing me in the penis talking about 2020 has just been elbowing and it's north to south elbows too. It's not even it's not even proper elbows. It's not the proper elbows. It's the north to south elbows in the penis. That's what 2020's been doing. Uh, should be put on any merch. Come on, Zevia, sponsor him, you sons of bitch. Maybe I should create a sh- maybe I should get ready to make a shirt. 2020. It's been elbowing me in the penis. I mean, that's probably well said. Well said. All right, Willow writes. You said the other day that it's challenging for a movie to stick the landing. It is. That's it's listen. Because you come up with a great concept for a movie, you can start a movie great, but it's bringing it to conclusion in a satisfying way. To me, I absolutely feel that is the toughest thing to do for narrative filmmakers. Anyway, you said that it's challenging for a movie to stick the landing. Do you find it worse when a movie has a bad first act or a bad final act? I personally find it worse if the if the third act is poor because that's all I tend to remember. I completely disagree, and I'll tell you why. What's um what was the movie guys help me out? It's the Gerard Butler movie, Something Citizen, Average Citizen, the one he's got that I that I would keep talking about that it, you know the first two acts are really great, but the end of the movie, the third act just kind of falls apart. It, it's Something Citizen. I can't remember. I'll wait for you guys. Uh, Law Abiding Citizen. Thank you, Vince. Uh, Vincent, uh, Vincent, the live chat put that in, and so did Aaron. Thank you guys for throwing Law Abiding Citizen. I still like the movie. Yes, the third act has significant problems. But by the time the third act came around, I was already on board at the movie because the first two acts I thought were really great. And so I'm on board at the movie. Does the third act hurt? Sure. But it got me on board. If the first act of your movie, if you lose me, and I'll say probably for 90% of audiences, if you lose us right off the bat, There's no recovering. Like, because by the time the movie starts getting interesting and good, we've already checked out. Like, mentally, we've already checked out. So, yeah, I would say it is absolutely... Look, sticking the landing is the thing that we always remember, but you don't remember the movies you just checked out on right away. You don't even go back and think about them, but that's even worse because you've already checked out. I would say if if I as a producer if some if I was making a movie a narrative movie and a movie fairy came to me in the middle of the night you know the tooth fairy's cousin and said hey your movie is either going to have a brilliant first act or a brilliant third act and the result is going to be if you take a brilliant first act your third act's going to be weak or you can have a brilliant third act but your first act is weak Brilliant first act every time, every time, no question. Because if you don't get somebody on board right away, if you don't get, then we are so quick to check out and it doesn't matter how good your third act is. If your first act isn't good and heavens, if your first two acts are bad, 
it doesn't matter how good your third act is. You'll never win the audience back. You'll never win them back. It's really tough. So I would say, while definitely third acts are more memorable, it won't matter if you don't get them on board in the first place. So I, I would personally say, just from my own subjective opinion, that it is most important to really get people on board again. If, if you fall apart in the third act, you fall apart in the third act, and that happens. But uh, but yeah, I'd say you definitely got to crush that first act. That's just me. All right, Andy Hong writes, Hey, John. I'm going to enjoy some back-to-back Eric Kripke good, uh, goodies this Thursday night, starting with the return of Supernatural. Yep, they're Supernatural finally going to start airing their final episodes. It's going to be hard to say goodbye to Supernatural. Uh, followed by the season two finale of The Boys. I'm so excited. What about you? Would you be interested in doing this? Well, I mean, obviously, I've watched Supernatural and I watched The Boys, so obviously I'm doing that. But it's not really Kripke, though, is it? Kripke isn't really associated with Supernatural anymore. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good night of television. I've been looking forward to uh, seeing how they wrap up Supernatural again. It's Supernatural has been one of my favorite shows for a very, very over a decade. For over a decade, it's it's weird to think about this. For a good third of my life, I've been watching Supernatural for well over a decade, almost fifteen years. I've been watching Supernatural. It's 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 hard to remember a time when watching Supernatural wasn't part of my regular routine. It's hard to remember a time like that. It's been around a long time, and obviously I'm loving the boys, so I'm, I'm very much looking. Oh, but also so sad that the boys season two is coming to an end. It's been such a good season. All right, Ryan Loner writes. Um, there have got to be a few bad calls in movie history, quite as spectacular as the Jurassic. Uh, Jurassic Park 3, screw the T-Rex. This weird thing with the pencil nose is going to be everybody's new favorite dinosaur. Uh, that one, uh, that was one angry theater I was in. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. There is this thing called the law of diminishing returns, right? And like every, almost every movie franchise does it. You look for, like no matter how big or bad your villain is, you then look for who's the big, bigger, badder villain for the next one. Cause if your next one doesn't have a bigger, badder villain than the one you just did, no one's going to like it. It'll be disappointing. Right. Case in point, like I've gotten more questions almost more than anything else, especially since infinity war and Endgame about who's the next big bad going to be and how they're going to get somebody that's bigger and badder than Thanos. Right. That's just a point of that. So Jurassic park faced the same thing. Okay. Our big, baddie, if you want to call the T-Rex that, is the T-Rex. But we got to go bigger now. We got to go bigger. I'm not saying that's a smart thing to do, but I understand that's the pressure, right? That's the pressure. You got to come up with something now that's bigger and badder than the T-Rex. Okay, well, then you come into the, the Jurassic World. All right, what's what's cooler than the raptor and badder than the T-Rex? T-Rex-Raptor hybrid. <gasps> I, you know, like, and that's because, and you got to forgive producers and directors for thinking that way because we, the audience, tell them to think that way, right? So, and, but it's not always the right thing to do. And maybe that example, Ryan, is probably a good example of that probably wasn't the right thing to do. All right. Next up, Dwayne Jackson writes, hey, John and family, if the government deems that theater industry is not worth saving, 
What will happen to future projects? Will they continue as scheduled? Uh, if we have no theaters, will HBO make a play for the big DC movies as an exclusive content? Well, listen, yeah, if movie theaters were suddenly to disappear tomorrow, what happens to the movies that are planned but haven't been made yet? So something like, I don't know, well, uh, No Time to Die. That movie's done. So that movie will just come out on streaming or something like that. Like if movie theaters disappear tomorrow, the movies that are already finished, well, then they'll just figure out a digital release strategy and they'll make less than half the money they would have made in theaters, but it's what they would have to do, right? But what happens to those projects that are planned right now, but haven't started production, right? What happens to The Flash, what happens to Ms. Marvel? Well, Ms. Marvel wasn't going to theaters, but uh, what happens to Thor Ragnarok? Not Thor Ragnarok. Thor Love and Thunder. I don't think they've started shooting that yet. So maybe they have, but I don't think they have. Anyway, let's assume that they haven't. What happens to that Flash movie? What happens to Thor Love and Thunder? What happens to those movies? I'll tell you what happens. They get scrapped. They get scrapped. <coughs> or... They either get scrapped entirely or they get massively reworked to cut their budgets in half or cut their budgets by 60 or 70%. Because the finances, as Rob pointed out earlier, the finances simply don't work. So what would happen to the movies that were already done but not released in theaters yet? Well, then you just come up with some digital strategy for it. Uh, you got no other choice. The ones that haven't even been made yet they either get cut or they get slashed as in they get reworked to reduce their budgets by massive amounts. That's probably ultimately what happens. All right, next up, uh, Doc J. Dean writes, Hey, John, I work at Cineplex. That's the, the biggest, by far, the most dominant Canadian movie theater. It's pretty much the only Canadian movie theater chain, really. Um, uh, Cineplex, with no major releases scheduled to come out for the foreseeable future and the closing of Regal and Cineworld, etc., likely to result in further delays, what is the likelihood of Cineplex to follow? Our business levels are dead. Yeah, listen... I know that Cinemark and AMC came out and put on a brave face and say, oh, we're going to stay open. I, I don't know. I mean, if movies do start coming back, like if Dune does, uh, well, Dune, not Dune, that's a bad example, but if Wonder Woman 84 keeps its Christmas Day release and let's say free Ryan Reynolds' free guy does come out in December and the theaters are back open, th then fine. But if it stretches beyond December, that's great that Cinemark and AMC are saying they're going to keep the doors open. I have a high degree of doubt, not certainty, but doubt that they're going to be able to maintain that. I, I think they're going to. And yeah, unfortunately, I think Cineplex is probably going to have to shut their doors too, at least for a while to stay viable. Like sometimes you got to take a short term loss to get the long term gain, right? Take the temporary loss to get the long term win. Um, and, and that might have to be, so I, I'll be surprised if Cineplex doesn't at least shut their doors for a while, unfortunately, but maybe they can come up with some creative ways to keep the lights on for now, uh, doc. I, either way, I just hope it works out. All right. Uh, Pat, Patrick Conway writes, 
I enjoyed the three five top five trailer. I and I did as well. That uh, that was a pretty good trailer. I enjoyed it. Not, not the best trailer in the world, but I enjoyed it. Uh, but I should be more excited than I am with it being a spy thriller. But not going to lie, I am concerned about Simon Kimberg directing. You know, listen. I, for a long time, everybody kept telling me, oh, no, Simon Kimber directing it is going to make it awesome, right? Um, and because we were talking about X-Men. Uh, oh, damn. Now, what, what was the name of the last X-Men movie that he directed? The final X-Men movie. Um, it was uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix, right? So, uh, oh, so, like I remember when they first announced this Simon Kimberg, who is an excellent producer and an excellent writer, when he was going to be directing X-Men uh, Dark Phoenix. Everybody's, oh, this is perfect because he knows X-Men. He knows X-Men is good or, is, or maybe better than anybody else. This is going to be awesome. And I was like the one unpopular voice that said, hey, listen, guys, I like Simon Kimberg too. I do, but he's never directed anything before. And is a big tentpole comic book movie really the is that the good idea to make that your first directorial effort? Is that a good idea? And and everybody laughed at me. So, oh, it's Simon Kimberg. You just don't know. Simon Kimberg knows X-Men, John. You're stupid. Okay. But I said, this is his first time. I just wish he would have directed maybe two smaller movies first and then directed a big tentpole film. Anyway, that being said, obviously X-Men... Dark Phoenix comes out. I didn't personally, I don't think X-Men Dark Phoenix is the complete train wreck that some other people think. It's not good, but I didn't think it was terrible, but it's not good. I'll, I'll at least agree with everybody that it's not good, but I thought it had its redeeming moments. That being said, so I clearly understand and empathize with your statement saying it makes you nervous as Simon Kimberg's directing. But I would say this. Now, Simon Kinberg does have a big movie that he directed under his belt. He's had that experience now. He's had lessons that he's learned from it. He's seen now firsthand what works and what doesn't work. Does that mean I think he's going to be the next Spielberg? No. But I do believe that his second directorial effort will be in many ways vastly superior than his first. It's kind of like the same thing like with Dave Filoni, right? We constantly have this debate about Dave Filoni. And I'm like, guys, Dave Filoni has never directed anything in live action. No, Dave Filoni should direct all the Star Wars. He's never directed anything. He's never directed anything live action. It's totally different directing animation than it is from live action. And... I thought the worst episodes of Mandalorian season one were the ones he directed. But guess what? I guarantee you that the next Mandalorian episodes that he directs are going to be exponentially better. Why? Because he's got a teachable spirit. And two, now he does have some experience under his belt. Now he has been on a live action set and he has directed live actors now. Does that mean he's the next Spielberg? No, but I absolutely guarantee you his next stuff that we see him direct in Mandalorian season two is going to be considerably better than the stuff he did in the first, because that was his first time, right? That was his first time. He had never done it before. All of it was new to him. 
But now he's got that experience under his belt. And I think that's going to equate to a much better effort. And that's why, yeah, Kimberg directing 355, I was very skeptical about him doing X-Men. But now he's got that experience. And I'm expecting a better effort from him now because he's learned those lessons. So we'll see. We'll see. All right, Dan S. writes, Oh, uh, you better stop that knocking at the door. Let me in. That was from the most recent Lovecraft uh, country. I swear Lovecraft country gets more insane by the minute. Uh, They went from existential Afrofuturism last episode to two dancing girls with Freddy Krueger fingernails and Glasgow smiles. Whack. I mean, yeah, the the show's crazy. The show is crazy. It was great to see uh, uh, Jamie Chung came back. She after she had that great episode that was all about her. It was good to see her come back as well. Anyway, this this show is great. I'm really enjoying Lovecraft. Again, it's weird. I watched the first episode and I loved it. And then I watched the second episode. And I'll be honest with you. The second episode did not work for me. And I almost ditched the show. But I thought, you know what? I like the first episode so, so much. I'll hang in there for a few more episodes. So glad that I did. So glad that I did. Because this show is bonkers and weird. But it's got some really intricate narratives going on. And it's going to be really cool to see where this thing goes. And those little girls were crazy. All right. Uh, he Ho writes, if theaters die... Do you think Sony continues Spunk, the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel comic? I I can't even remember what Spunk stands for now. Um, To take it even further, is the Spider-Man property worth nearly as much to them without movie theaters? If I'm Sony in that timeline, I'm not sure how I survive the streaming wars. Yeah, I'm not sure. I Let's put it this way. If theaters were to go the value of Spider-Man diminishes greatly. It it diminishes. It doesn't evaporate. It doesn't completely disappear, but it does diminish to a degree because these things are valuable to Sony because they can make a Venom movie and make $820 million or it made over 800 million, make over $800 million. They can make a little animated Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and make hundreds of millions of dollars and win Academy Awards for it. They hold the value because of the theaters. If the theaters were not there, the inherent value of that property, there's still value to it. There is, but it's less. It's less. And Spider-Man is not a cheap property to produce either. So I... What ultimately would they do? I don't know. They would have to really evaluate, is it worth it to us anymore? Because we can't make $800 million on a movie like we did with Venom. We can't make $650 million like we're hoping to make with Morbius. It just can't do it. It can't happen. So is it worth it to us anymore? And I know that that is something they're going to have to evaluate, though, for sure. Uh, a UK, thank you, Tip. Tips in $20. Thank you so much for that. Hey, John, we live in a world where people are increasingly intolerant to views that are different than their own. I sent in tips the past two days about Batman HBO Max series with Affleck and DC Universe, and you completely disagreed with me, and I love the show even more. Well, thanks so much. You know, that's the great thing I love. One of the things that I love about our community and our things is that somebody can say, I really think a new Joker movie is going to be great, right? Or it's a great idea to do a new Joker movie. And I can say, I disagree. I, I don't think it's a great idea, but if I was a studio head, I would green light it because of the money for sure. But, you know, and I love that. And so often 
what what is great is that being exposed, I am constantly every day because of you guys exposed to opinions that are different from my own. That is one of the best things about doing this show. And how many times have you guys seen me actually change my position because of what you guys, even if it's something as simple as Harley Quinn, the animated series looks like garbage. And then you guys, John, it's awesome. Check it out. Watch it. Go to it. Go watch it. Do it. Do it. Do it. And I'm like, all right. And I love it. But even in other things too, right? Like uh, going back even a number of years, I never liked the idea of them doing an Obi-Wan movie or an Obi-Wan series. Never liked the idea. But you know, for years that I heard really legit reasoning and arguments for you guys about why it could be a great thing. And it changed me. It changed me. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I, I, I changed my mind. I'm on board. I think maybe an Obi-Wan one can work, right? Too many people and too many content creators. Let's start with the audience. Too many audience people seek out echo chambers. Like they only want to watch stuff that says things they already think and already agree with. Right. I mean, you can even see that in, in media, like who watches MSNBC, <laughs> who watches MSNBC, clearly people who already think politically a certain way, right? They already think this way. So we only want to watch a news channel that says exactly what we already think and exactly what we already believe. And look at Fox News. Same thing, but completely the opposite, right? It only does one way of looking at things and therefore it gets an audience of people who just want to hear people say what they already think. Just say what I already think and say what I already believe. So you got these two contrasting examples and both, I think, frankly, are toxic. But I love that every day I get exposed when it comes to movies and television to different ideas and opinions. And that doesn't mean like only maybe three or 4% of the time I'll actually change my mind, but I still think there's value in being exposed to the different ideas and the different points of view. I think there's value in that, whether you or I change our minds or not. And I love that people are like, I don't think a Ben Affleck HBO series is a good idea. But that doesn't mean I don't like hearing from people who think it is and hear their reasons why they think there is, right? And I, I think that's a great thing about YouTube, at least one of the things. But again, even on YouTube, it, it happens. You get some audiences that only want to go to people who say things that they think, and you get some content creators that will only say things that they know their audience wants them to say, right? There are some of those out there. But I, I love the way our community works. We got vastly different opinions, particularly about movies and things like that. We got vastly different opinions about movies and TV and what could work, what couldn't work, what did work, what didn't. And I love that. I, I personally think that's a great thing. Doesn't mean I have to change my mind, but I love hearing the different points of view. And I love that our audience, even if they don't agree with me, they love hearing a different point of view than just hearing somebody say the things they already agree with. So I think there's value in that. And I, I'm really glad that a lot of YouTube, a lot of YouTube actually does that. So that's one of the things that I like. Anyway, uh, let's move on here, shall we? And thank you for that tip, uh, UK, UK viewer. I appreciate that very much. All right. The Wakandan Forever writes, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles in my way. All the bad feelings have disappeared. I can think I make it now. The pain is gone. It's going to be a bright, 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 shiny day. Uh, now play me out a solo Eddie, two greats. I mean, yeah, again, we started off today's show talking about, uh, even though it's not movie related, but Eddie Van Halen, 
had a real influence on me. Like one of my other, you know, I, I, I've played music most of my life. Uh, I've played in bands and, and things like that. There was a brief period of time where I even thought about trying to pursue my dream of being a musician full time, you know. Uh, that died fairly quickly, but Eddie Van Halen was seriously one of those big influences on me and, uh, truly a God of rock, uh, that we lost. And it is, uh, yeah, just a terrible, terrible loss. All right. Ryan Loner writes, maybe if Jurassic world gets bumped far enough, the original, uh, dog, uh, Dodgson actor will get out of jail in time to be in it. You know, someone at, at the studio is thinking that I don't even remember who that is. I don't even remember who that is. Hold on a second. I don't even remember who that is off the top of my head. <clears throat> Let me look it up here. Uh, which one was Dodson? Cameron Thor. Which one was he? Is he the one that got, who made the offer? Is that who it was in that? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, Cameron. It was an actor by the name of Cameron Thor. Uh, I didn't even know he was in jail. So I didn't know that. A little bit of Jurassic Park trivia. All right, next up, Wyatt Bender writes, Hey, John and Rob, Rob's not here anymore. Uh, there are a lot of amazing Western films from the prior decades. There are. But my most favorite is Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer's Tombstone from 1993, Huckleberry. Uh, because of this film, I was named after Wyatt Earp himself. Val kills it every time. Val Kilmer, it's hard. Now, I love him in Kiss Kiss Gang <laughs> Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I love him in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang um, and in a number of other things, Heat and whatever, but it, it's hard to deny. It's all subjective, but it's difficult not to say maybe his best performance was in uh, in Wyatt Earp. Um, or in uh, Tombstone, I should say. It, it's, it's hard to deny that that might have been his best performance. Right? Now, to me... <clears throat> The greatest Western of all time is Unforgiven. Uh, I can't remember what year it came out. 92. So it would have been just before Tombstone. Unforgiven. Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman, Richard Harris, on and on and on. Um, that to me is, is still probably the greatest Western of all time. It's going to be turning 30 years old pretty soon. Can't believe that. Imagine this. Go back to that day. Go back to that era. Clint Eastwood. You're watching Clint Eastwood. Uh, you're watching Clint Eastwood in this movie, and he's he's an older Clint Eastwood, whatever. And now go back to that and then say to yourself, because remember yesterday we talked about how he's making a new movie called, I think it's called Cry Macho. He's making a new one at 90. Go back and then tell yourself in 1992 hey do you know that 30 years look at Clint Eastwood he's an older he's, he's got to be getting close to retirement making this movie 30 years from now he's going to be making another new movie 30 years from now that he's starring in and directing in the longevity of Clint Eastwood is absolutely ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous it's so good uh anyway but yeah Tombstone's a great one okay next up 
where are we at here? Whitebender also writes, if there was a biopic on another musician slash band, i.e. Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody, I want the next one to be on Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, the man is a legend with such a sad story. He has slept on too for, for too long. Thoughts on a Stevie Ray Vaughan film? Script needs to be good. Well, uh, I mean, script needs to be good. You can say about every movie ever made. Like any movie you're going to make, you can't. there's no movie ever, ever going into production going, script doesn't need to be good. Man, script needs to be good. Um, I'll be honest with you. If I'm a studio exec, I do not green light a Stevie Ray Vaughan biopic for two reasons. One, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not tremendously interested in the life stories of musicians. They're all basically the same. Like if you look at Bohemian Rhapsody, which I really liked, if you look at Rocket Man, which I really like. Hell, if you look at Walk the Line, which which I really like, but if you look at all, they're all the same movie, right? Uh, kid who's a prodigy, super great. I mean, really good moral center and everything too. But then his talent it takes him to places. He starts to get famous, but oh, once they start making it big, then starts coming the downfall. They get addicted to drugs and the drinking, and they start going through some real struggles, all working towards maybe some kind of personal redemption. Uh, that they, they they find their own little personal redemption, something like that. At the end, of the, I just described all of those movies. They're all the same. Doesn't mean they're not good. I'm just saying they're all the same. And. I mean, one that isn't the same was actually straight out of Compton. That that one takes some different twists and turns. But the the other main reason that I probably, if I'm a, a studio exec, that I wouldn't greenlight a Stevie Ray Vaughan one is that on Stevie Ray Vaughan simply amongst the general public. I mean, Elton John, everybody knows Elton John. Everybody knows the music of Queen. And I don't know that there would be that that commercial viability for something on Stevie Ray Vaughan. But again, with the right script and everything, who knows? Anything is possible. I'm just saying, honestly, if I was a uh, studio exec, I probably don't green light it myself. But you never know. A lot of, lot of moving pieces, though, there that could make it possible. All right, JR writes, John, those dastardly movie studios are at it again, releasing trailers almost a full year in advance. Dune, oh, I, I get it. It's a, it's, it's a pandemic joke. Uh, Dune, Black Widow, etc. Heck, the Batman trailer dropped almost a whole year and a half in advance. When will the madness end in all seriousness? This sucks. Yeah, of course. So obviously one of the big problems that has been around in the movie industry for a long time has been releasing trailers way too early. Now, studios have been getting much better at that. But now, of course, with all these movies getting bumped, it ends up like we've had, how long have we had No Time to Die trailers? A long time. By the time Batman eventually comes out, it'll have been a long time. So yeah, that's that's another effect, JR. That is another effect we're having. We're, we're having uh, visited upon us. All right, Wyatt Bender writes, I really hope in Spider-Man 3 we get Scorpion uh, because I'm getting tired of villains that were created by Stark. Scorpion is the only one that wasn't created by him because of what happened to him in Homecoming on the ferry. He now wants Spidey dead. I mean, every vid, but here's the thing. Every villain wants Spidey dead, right? Every villain does for whatever reason. But so I don't care if it's, it doesn't matter if it's Scorpion. It doesn't matter if it's Electro and it doesn't matter if they, whichever direction they want to go. You just got to have a well-written villain, blah, blah, blah. But I 1,000% agree with you that please don't make the next one another one who's already mad at Tony Stark. Please don't do that again, right? You've done it a couple of films in a row now where it's just the big baddies is somebody who was mad at Tony Stark. 
and Spider-Man just happens to be there and in the way, right? Please don't go. But you, but okay, that's twice. But there's many, many, many villains in the Spider-Man pantheon that they can draw on that, and and just make it so it's they're not just mad at Tony Stark. But yeah, I I am with you. White, listen, if they come into Spider-Man three and we find out that the villain is just someone who was once again, man, I got screwed over by Tony Stark. Oh, I'm gonna roll my. I'm such a massive eye roll. Oh my god. I really hope they don't go in that direction. That would be a terrible mistake, in my uh, uh, in my uh, in my opinion. All right, next up here, an anonymous viewer writes: uh, "Call me blissfully ignorant, but if the movie chains go under, Regal, AMC, etc., uh, won't new ones just pop up, or the few who manage to squeak by will flourish? It may take a few years, but don't new businesses always sprout up to capitalize on what came before?" There's a First of all, in principle, that's correct. In principle. The movie theater industry is a very, very unique situation, though. The movie theaters that have been around now have been around for decades. In the case of AMC, it's been around for a century. The movie theater industry is a razor-thin margin industry. Despite the fact that the box office, like in 2019, set all sorts of records. It's the third biggest box office year in cinematic history, blah, blah, blah. Even in all that, the movie theaters just eke out a profit. They just eke it out. It's a very thin margin business that can very easily become a money losing business. And it takes a huge investment because you now have to take over you have to buy property or take over the leases of extremely big plots of real estate at extremely high prices. It is an unimaginably expensive business to be in. Plus, it's unimaginably complex. You have to have tens of thousands of employees or more. At the minimum, you're, you're talking about having to have tens of thousands of employees all highly trained and skilled in what they're doing for razor thin margins. It's not like, well, if one cell phone company goes under, there's such huge demand for cell phones and just, it'll pop, uh, just find the right supply chain that somebody else will make them for you in India, China. It's not like that. It's different. And so could like if AMC and Regal suddenly went out of business, could other ones pop up to take their place? That is, it's possible, but it's less likely than it is for other industries. Which is part of the reason why a lot of people say, well, just the, the movie th the movie studio should buy the things. And I get where that thing is coming from. Just the movie studio should buy the theaters. The movie studios know better than anybody how incredibly difficult it is to run a movie theater chain. They have to work with the movie theaters. They know. That's, hey, that's a business they don't want to be in. Believe it. They don't want to be in that business. Owning a, a little, one theater here and one theater there, sure, that's simple. But owning a nationwide theater chain? That's a business they don't want to be in. They'd rather let somebody else do that. So it's possible. Yes, that could happen. But I'm just saying it's less likely to happen because this is a very different industry. So that let's, keep, let's keep our fingers crossed and keep our eyes open. All right. The best case scenario is that Regal and AMC and Cinemark and all the others find a way to survive the pandemic. And then once, because listen, I've said this before. I will say it again. If these theaters survive the pandemic, they will be fine. I, they, I have no worries about them. They will be 100% fine if they survive the pandemic. 
if they can last and keep stay in business until February or March, they'll be fine. It's just whether or not they can survive to that point. That's what we got to see. All right. And as you writes, why can't you run past a campground? You can only ran because it's past tense. A little bit of grammar joking in there. I'll give you, I'll give you the drum shot for that. There you go. Because it's past tense. Get it? Past tense. Anyway, uh, Toby Ingram writes, Hey, John and co. I just wanted to mention a message to say thank you for making my lockdown so much better. Uh, going to work, listening to the podcast is fantastic. Keep up the good work. Been a fan for a good five years from the UK and appreciate everything you guys do. Well, thank you so much for that, Toby. I appreciate that, man. It's always nice when somebody just wants to write in and say something positive. Thanks for letting us and doing us the honor of letting us come along for your ride with you as you go to work and all that kind of stuff. And hopefully this pandemic stops affecting us all sooner rather than later. And again, Toby, thank you so much for the well wishes. I appreciate that, man. And thanks for supporting the channel, dude. Uh, Toby also writes, I also wanted to ask John, what is your favorite sequel in film? I honestly love Blade Runner 2049 and The Dark Knight. I always think you can never beat the first film, but some sequels are fantastic. Rob, what about you? Obviously, Rob's not here right now. One of the first examples, right? For the longest time, the rule was sequels are never as good as the original. But we've seen a number of times where it has, right? One of the great examples is Star Trek, right? Star Trek The Wrath of Khan to this day is considered by some as one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. The Wrath of Khan is amazing. Clearly better than the first Star Trek movie, right? Something smaller. Um, Rush Hour. Jackie, Jackie Chan and, and Tuck, Chris Tucker, right? The first movie, first Rush Hour, not so good. I love the second Rush Hour. Third one was also a, an unbearable bag of crap. But the second Rush Hour, I love the second Rush Hour. Uh, depending on who you ask. In Star Wars communities, Empire Strikes Back. Even, even a lot of hardcore Star Wars fans consider Empire Strikes Back even better than the original Star Wars. There are some people who believe Godfather 2 is even better than the, the original Godfather. I'm not one of those. I'm more in the Godfather 1 camp, but it's 1 and 1A. One I mean, they're both incredible. Um, so, yeah, but then it also depends what you mean by sequel. Because part three is also a sequel. Part four is also a sequel. But if you mean by sequel, literally the second film in a franchise. Boy, it's probably Empire. But if you're talking about the difference in what had the biggest quality difference between the original film and the second film. Because it's not a big jump from the original Star Wars, which is a total masterpiece, to The Empire Strikes Back, which is also a total masterpiece. Maybe it's a little bit better, but there's not a big gap. There's not a big quality gap. I, you might have to go to Star Trek. I think there might be that Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan might be the biggest jump in quality from the first movie to the second movie. That might be it. So I might have to go with that. But, uh, favorite sequel of all time, probably Empire Strikes Back. But what is the one that had that biggest jump? Might be the Star Trek one. All right, next up. Um... NHL scout Alex Trebek writes, uh, did you see that uh, the Senators had Alex uh, Trebek announce the Sens first round in the third overall pick of the NHL draft? I did not know that. For once, they did something right. Listen, I'm not going to lie. I've always been a little bitter about the Ottawa Senators, uh, which is an NHL hockey team. I've always been, I've always carried around a little bit of bitterness because that team 
should have been in Hamilton. Hamilton was the city that should have got that before the Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres blocked Hamilton getting that expansion team. So I've always had a little bit of thing, but that's really cool. I didn't know that Alex Trebek did that. That's great. I love that. Alex Trebek, of course, is a good Canadian kid. All right. Jimmy K writes, Hey, John, I love that theaters are showing old stuff, but there are some new content coming out, even though they're small budget. This week is war with grandpa, which looks just terrible. That Robert De Niro movie, oh my God, that looks so bad. Uh, next week is Honest Thief. Uh, the 23rd is The Empty Man. Then come play at the end of the month. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how many of those actually release with Regal shutting down. It'll be interesting to see how many actually release with Regal sh shutting down. I, I think some of them will. They're smaller films. Very, very minor ad campaigns. But these movies will not keep the movie theaters in business because movie theaters need the big films to get people into the theaters to get awareness for all these other movies as well. Because like, for instance, how many television spots have you seen for Come Play? I've seen none. I've seen no, they have very, very minute, small marketing campaigns. And so there's very, very little awareness about them. But, and unfortunately, while I am interested in Honest Thief, the Liam Neeson film, I am, I thought the trailer for that was pretty good. I am interested in that. The little horror film, Come Play. Um, I'm interested in that movie. I'm not going to drive an hour to Anaheim to go see it because Anaheim is the closest movie theater I have to me. I'm not going to drive an hour to go see it. I'm not going to make a two-hour round trip to go see Come Play. I would go to see it if my local theater was open, but it'll be interesting to see. But yes, yeah, some smaller ones still coming out. We'll see how many smaller films continue to come out um, once Thursday comes and goes and Regal shuts down. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. All right, Preston Walden writes, I have noticed that AMC is doing a horror theme this month with The Nun, Annabelle 1 and 2, Friday the 13th, and Hocus Pocus. Think that is pretty smart. Plus, I see some new films like John Wick 3 uh, this month as well. See, that's a good idea. That's Look, I still think it's the wrong idea for AMC to stay open. I think they better their chances for survival if they shut their doors right now and conserve their resources. But that being said and made very clear, if you are going to stay open, that's the type of stuff you need to do. It, it's still the, a wrong decision to stay open. But if you are going to stay open, then that's the kind of stuff you got to do. I think that's a really good approach on their part. So I, I hope it works. I really do. I really hope it works. Fingers crossed. All right. Next up, Stubble McShave writes, It'd be interesting for studios as a concept to have a week dedicated to Oscar movies for a given year. Each week would feature one year. They could play all the movies simultaneously or have a day of the week for each nominated movie and the winner uh, on the weekend. Yeah, here's, here's why I don't know why that would work. Now, every year, AMC has what's called the Oscar Showcase, where they do a weekend where they play all the best picture nominated films for that year. But you see that works because it's for that year. Everybody's aware of these films right now. It's the hot topic. One of these films is going to win best picture. And there's probably three or four people go, that movie's nominated for best, best picture. I didn't even hear about that movie. I'm going to go check it out. Right? The problem is if you try to do that for say today for like 2014, well, other than the one or two movies that are nominated, 
that were nominated in 2014, a lot of the other films were not big box office draws, right? A lot of the times it's smaller uh, arts, art, art, artistic kind of movies or, or smaller indie kind of films that get those nominations. And I just don't know that in a year where they're not the film that's nominated, that a lot of people will rush out and go to see them right now. I, I, so I don't know if that would work. It'd certainly be an interesting thing, but I, I don't know that you'd sell a lot of tickets. And right now, what theaters like AMC and Cinemark need to do is find ways to sell tickets. I'm not, just not sure that that one would work, Stubble. Uh, Bob Bisney uh, Cheap Pick writes, Regarding the Mulan experiment, I think it should have gone to iTunes slash Google initially, then on to Disney Plus free uh, to its customers that would have had created a new surge in customers to Disney Plus. I also think that this was the wrong move to try PVOD. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, look, it, hindsight, listen, I fully admit hindsight is twenty twenty, but I don't believe for a second, I don't believe for a second that they originally planned to let Disney Plus go on Google or Amazon. I think the plan was this is going to be Disney Plus exclusive. Oh, we're not making any money. Okay, change of plans. Let's let it go on to Google and Amazon and other outlets as well so people who are not Disney Plus subscribers can get it because, my God, we need to make some money on this thing, right? I think this was a plan B. So I don't know that they ever would have um, launched. They never would have launched, come out of the gate with Amazon because I don't think they, I don't think regardless of whatever they say, I don't believe that their original plan was to ever let Mulan show up on Google or Amazon or iTunes. I think this was a plan B because plan A didn't work. And I get that. But then in instituting plan B, you've got to keep your customers in mind. And say, well, you know, we can't, we can't make plan B something that's a better deal to people than our customers got. So we got to figure out plan B in such a way that our customers who are our loyal consumers feel like they got the better deal because they're our loyal consumers. They're our loyal customers. There are Disney Plus subscribers. Fine, we need to come up with a plan B to generate more revenue because Mulan lost us a ton of cash. But we got to make sure that plan B is done in such a way that our consumers, our customers go, whoo, I sure am glad that I'm a Disney Plus member because I got a better deal. I got extra content. It didn't cost me as much because I'm a Disney. What they do, they did the opposite. And they made Disney consumers and Disney customers and Disney Plus subscribers like me going, well, what the F? I am a subscriber. I am a loyal customer. And buddy Joe Jim Bob at the gas station down there just got a twice as good of a deal on the same movie that I did. And I'm your loyal customer. It's wrong. It's wrong. They needed to come up with something else. Anyway, uh, last question of the day, guys. It is crazy when we don't have Rob around for the live questions, how much faster we get through the questions. All right. Oh, my Josh writes. I've been a Disney Plus member since day, day one. Me too. Uh, bought Mulan to support Asian representation, and I feel betrayed by Disney. Canceling Disney Plus after Mandalorian Season 2. I'll probably sign up again when Marvel content finally drops. Can't wait for your documentary. Good luck. And listen, oh my Josh, not everybody's going to feel the same as you and I. But I bet there are also a bunch of people who do agree with you and I. 
because I'm I'm personally again not as a pundit. I'm not calling for a stupid boycott or anything like. That, but as a individual customer, I'm right there with you. Right now, my plan is once I watch Mandalorian season two, I'm canceling Disney Plus. I was thinking about it anyway because we have just simply not gotten enough premium original content to justify the fact that I've spent almost a hundred bucks on this service already. But this to me shows a fundamental lack of respect that Disney has, at least Disney plus has for its subscribers. This is a fundamental act of disrespect. I don't care. I don't care how big of a fan of other Disney stuff. I am. I don't care that I, that I think Bob Iger is the great executive. I don't care if I think Alan, Hor- I don't, I don't care about any of that. What Disney plus just did with Mulan. I don't care how you try to spin it is a fundamental act of disrespect to the people who have been loyally subscribed to Disney plus from day one. It is, it is a fundamental act of disrespect. And if you don't respect me, why should I respect you? And so, yeah, I think once I get a chance to watch Mandalorian season two, I'll probably cancel. And then I will probably become a fair weather subscriber. Like other people have been for other networks, right? I think I will sign up for a month when a show that's coming out that I am interested in. And then once that show's run is done, I will cancel. Which means I will still probably end up being subscribed to Disney Plus for like six months out of the year. That's probably true. Yeah, that's probably true. But it's just, it's a principle thing now. Like, again, it's not about Mulan, all right? Because I know there's going to be a lot of people that are going to misinterpret what I'm saying here. It's not about Mulan. It's about the fundamental principle of we as a company are going to make a deal for people who are not our subscribers that is a better deal in every way than our own subscribers got. And again, I like forget even forget about 4K and even forget about the extra bonus feature that these non-Disney Plus subscribers are going to get. The basic fundamental thing for me here is still this. The iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, Fandango, now whatever, those people are going to pay $29.99 and they get to own it forever. It's now theirs. They own it forever. Me, the sucker, I pay $29.99 plus I pay $84 a year. By the way, that $84 a year, that price tag's going up soon. But just for now, I pay $29.99 plus I paid $84 a year. Plus, if I want to continue watching it, I got to continue to pay $84 a year. And the moment I'm not paying that anymore, I don't have access to Mulan anymore. Where, uh, why did I come up on that screen? I'm not sure. Whereas if I had paid Google instead of Disney Plus, I'd have the movie forever. So again, it's not about Mulan. It's about that fundamental, you know, philosophical difference. Anyway, guys. That will do it for me for this installment of the John Campia show. Guys, thank you so much for being here and thank you for being a part of this show. And thank you for making this show a part of your day. It's an incredible honor that you allow me uh, to be a part of your day like that. That's incredible. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here 
Thank you guys very much for that. Just a quick reminder, guys, if you haven't done so already, go ahead and click on that subscribe button. Become a subscriber to the John Campy YouTube channel. And by the way, if you are a subscriber, go and click the thumbs up button. Leave a comment. Leave your thoughts on any or all of the topics that we discussed here today. Guys, that'll do it for me for now. Thanks so much for being here. Make sure to do the four main things. Stay smart. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves. And please take care of the people around you. My name is John Campy, folks. And until next time, bye-bye.